This is Framed, a podcast where a group of friends get together once a week to talk about movies, what we liked about them, what we didn't like, and how they're made. I'm Elliot. I'm Robert. And I'm Brennan. On this episode of Framed, we take a look at Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the 1989 sci-fi comedy family classic film about four kids who are thrown out with the trash. So, uh, for this round of framed movies, we decided to do guilty pleasures. Um, and I, I don't know what, how you guys define that necessarily, but for me, I was thinking that that was not necessarily a bad movie, but just one that you sort of enjoy and you don't really care what other people think of it. Could be good, could be bad, that kind of movie. Um, so for well, my- I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> that, that was ominous. So my pick was uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which uh, was a movie that I grew up watching. So it's uh, it's near and dear to my heart. Um, very, uh, very inspirational for me. Uh, just, you know, getting started making movies as a kid, which I'll, I'll get into a little bit more later. Um, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's start with a roundtable of, of what everybody else thought of this. So, uh, Brennan, do you want to go first? Alrighty, I'll go first. Time to tear this thing up. No, I'm just <laughs> um, but for real, so kind of my general thought on this was, well, I I too grew up watching this. Um, one of my favorites whenever I was younger. Um, so something I still like to this day. Um, I feel like it has for sure, I wouldn't say completely, completely started. I'm sure there are some other shrinkage type films before this but for the most part i feel like this was a good start to that and it, i mean going from this to indian the cupboard to ant-man today you can definitely see like the how it's come how far it's come since then and mm-hmm. it's definitely come along definitely come a long way since then and it was definitely a good start Hmm. So, Robert, what about you? Yeah, so like you guys, I definitely watched this as a kid. I couldn't tell you how many times I watched it. It was never like a film that I was super excited to like put in on Saturday or whatever to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really shocked when I rewatched it, just how much of it I remembered, mm-hmm. um, which I think is the sign of a good movie, you know, yes, uh, it was correct. memorable. And to bounce off of what Brennan said, uh, there are a fair amount of kids get shrunken down and thrown into the world films out there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that this one, like I wasn't confusing multiple films together, like I might with some other genre E type films, um, I think bodes well for it. Uh, it also kind of struck me how uh, how committed they were to giving each character their own um, problem, their own arc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which I think is missing a lot of times. Like the fact that mom and dad are having uh, marital problems. Mm-hmm. Uh I feel like you might get that in a film these days, a a kid's film. Um, But I feel like most of their development would happen off screen. Yeah. Um, Whereas they like even (laughs) the joke here is even the neighbor cat and dog have an arc, right? Like the (laughs) the dog is afraid of the cat. And then like at the end must bark at it to get the kids inside. Yeah. Um, so like really every character they've given them their obstacle, the thing that's stopping them and let them explore that, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is missing in a lot of, you know, low budget children's movies, which is what this was. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was really refreshing to see. So I definitely enjoyed taking a stroll down memory lane with this one and rewatching it. Mm. Yeah, for me, um, you know, Robert, you you mentioned that you've watched this countless numbers 
of times growing up and I'm, I'm definitely in that boat too. Like I, I couldn't tell you how many times I, I watched this, um, as a kid and I think I've watched it like three or four times in just in the last couple of years, I'd guess. Um, this is definitely a, a, a comfort food movie for me. The, the kind that you just, you, you know, like the back of your hand, you just put it on in the background and just let it play. Like I, I think I pretty much have this whole movie memorized at this point. Um, <laughs> It's uh yeah it's it's definitely uh, a a classic for me. Um, I tried to take the nostalgia glasses off, and um, I feel like I I failed miserably. Like I couldn't. It was hard for me to <laughs> get into a, a critical headspace with this movie. Um, I I did you know like you said um, every every character's got an arc. Um, you know if you look at this movie structurally, it's it's just the Joseph Campbell's hero's journey again. And so that, that gets a green check mark in my book. Anytime I recognize a movie doing that solid performances all around, like even from the kids, I thought all the kids did, did really well. Um, I mean, if, if, if there's any negatives to this, it's just in the realm of nitpicks, like individual lines of dialogue or, um, you know, r- really small stuff, no pun intended. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, even the special effects I think have aged extremely well. Like the uh, they they make use of a lot of stop motion animation in this, which I think still looks really good. Um, and I mean, we'll we'll get into the set pieces a little bit later, I assume. But even you know, a lot of the set pieces I thought still looked really good for for a movie that's yeah. over thirty years old. I I think with a, a few exceptions, yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I think we'll. I wonder if we're thinking about the same scenes, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, it's, it kind of sounds like everybody overall is, is positive about this. So, you know, before we start gushing about this, maybe we start off with the negatives and then work our way towards, yeah. towards the stuff we enjoyed. I think that's a great idea. So who wants to go first? Who's, who's itching to, to criticize this? Don't everybody jump in at once. <laughs> or is this film perfect? So, this film is perfect and there's nothing to complain about. Um, <laughs> I do think that there are some uh, maybe missed opportunities. Mm. Uh, one, I think that what, and this just goes to show that taste is so subjective, but like the fact that this falls so perfectly into uh joseph campbell's uh you know hero's journey Mm -hmm. mold i would actually say is problematic because it doesn't give you um there's no room for you to be afraid for these characters or to wonder what's happening because like we very much feel like this is on tracks and we know where it's gonna go yeah um you could definitely argue that, you know, it's made with children in mind. Right. Um, so that that might not be a fair critique. Uh, but this was really targeted for a teenage audience, mm-hmm. um, not children. Uh, and I think the fact that they gave the adults in the movie so much time and space also points to the fact that it's it's really supposed to be a four quadrant film it's supposed to appeal to everyone yeah um so i think that term before what's what's a four quadrant film yeah so a four quadrant film is a term that is thrown around a lot and actually applies to very few projects (laughs) um but basically the four quadrants is men and women and under 25 and over 25. Oh, okay. Uh, so when a marketing team is looking at a project, they're going, okay, uh, is this something that's going to appeal to younger women only? Uh, is this going to appeal to older men and younger women? Like, where is it going to fall? And any producer will tell you that any project is a four quadrant film. It's going <laughs> to, everyone will love this. It's a masterpiece. Right. Um, but really, when you think about it, there's very few films that really do truly appeal to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's uh, there's definitely an argument to be made that uh, the Marvel franchise right now is doing that. 
uh, where old people, young people, men and women all get obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, uh, it's rare to see a film that is just kind of universally loved right now. Um, but Disney very, you know, famously goes after these four quadrants. You know, mm-hmm. Pixar is a great example of a four quadrant industry right yeah. like they're almost everything they put out is beloved by everyone yeah they pretty much um, got it down to a science at this point for sure yeah. so um so i i definitely think that this is trying to be and succeeding at being a four quadrant film mm-hmm. um it's just you know it it for me falls a little too much into that repetitive up down like we we have Chekhov's uh lawnmower in this which is fun <laughs> yeah. yeah um but like as soon as and again I'm looking at this with those nostalgia glasses in the sense that like I have seen it a bunch so maybe right. someone with fresh eyes wouldn't be noticing this but I feel like almost everyone's gonna be like okay we know the kids are getting shrunk because of the title and oh we're setting up that the lawn's gonna get mowed later mm-hmm. Hmm, to be fair to be fair they set up the lawnmower in like the first 15 minutes and then they give you plenty of time to forget about it to forget about it that's true that's a fair point um so yeah i i think it's a little formulaic um Mm -hmm. partially though purposefully because like this this is supposed to be a horror film yeah i'm I'm glad you picked up on that because i had the same thought that this is this is like a it's in the mold of a horror film but it's it's a kid's movie yeah you've got the you've got the mad scientist you've Mm -hmm. got the the huge monsters the the constant barrage of things trying to kill the kids yep Yep. um uh it it uh the original director that pitched the idea is a a fairly known um horror director he didn't end up directing he got sick um and they brought in um what's joe Joe johnson Uh, yeah yeah he he directed Um, um the first captain america movie i think yes that's correct um but yeah, the the original pitch, which you'll hear a fair amount from directors that uh, do not so family friendly things, uh, once they start having a family of their own, they're like, oh, it would sure be nice if there was a movie that I was in that my kids could actually watch or yeah. that I directed that my kids could. So uh, that was the genesis of the idea of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, OK. Um but then uh, Stuart was his last name, I'm pretty sure, uh, got sick um, and they had to scramble and bring in um, Johnson, who was a special effects guy mm-hmm. uh, and had worked on a bunch of things, which makes sense. This is a very special effects heavy oh. um, piece. But yes, it, it very much has this horror feel to it, um, which is fun, especially when you consider like, that's not really seen in the, you know, family adventure movie up until this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, sorry, I'm going to switch tracks here a little bit since we're, you know, talking about the the negatives of the movie broadly. I thought of something when you brought up the lawnmower. And yeah, that's for me. Um, this movie takes a while to get going. I noticed this mm. this time around watching it. I don't think that they get shrunk until 20, 30 minutes in. Um, yeah, it feels like there's a lot of setup. Um, granted, it, it's all it's all, uh, you know, Chekhov's gun type stuff that, that pays off later. Um, but it, it it struck me that this it, it takes a while to get to the hook where the machine actually turns on and, and the kids get shrunk. Did, yeah. did you guys feel that way? Yes. It, was, go ahead, Brennan. I was just saying it was very kind of i mean off of that kind of book ended too what do you mean by that well going from talking about having all that stuff set up taking all this time to set it up and kind of like and slowly the stuff at the beginning is fixed at the end and mm-hmm. as you go on like from the um lawnmower to when they got shrunk just it just parallels the beginning to the end. Like the end picked up. Mm-hmm. It started slow, 
but I felt like it picked up. Yeah, are you trying to say I would that, agree like, with that everything that gets set up pays off at some point? Yeah. I To Brennan's point, I do think that the pacing is pretty good once we get started. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have a, a pretty good uh, tempo of you know crisis 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 yeah. crisis and i i think that um, the the speed at which the adults figure out what's happened i thought was was pretty believable too like i think that yeah that wayne realizes what's happened at about the right point in the story um yeah although i will say it did bother me that you know his his thinking couch goes missing and his first thought was not something to do with the shrinking machine like that that did kind of bug me this time yeah it's a little hard to, you know, justify like they they have they pan over to the broken window and then yeah. back like almost they're trying to insinuate that like maybe maybe someone came in and took the couch. But like or maybe why? Nick moved it downstairs because he was supposed like, to clean the house. <laughs> yeah, like I I agree that was a little like. Um, obviously this is a concern. Like <laughs> you have a shrink ray upstairs and suddenly things are missing. <laughs> like, um, I also thought that, uh, the cops just leaving <laughs> when he was like, Nope, my kids are in the backyard. Bye. <laughs> um, was, uh, especially with the wife, like collapsing <laughs> next to him. They were just like, Oh, well, he said they're in the backyard. Yeah. Yes, it's time to go home. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I mean, the, like they're obviously playing that scene for laughs at that point, but that yes. that is a fair point that that's not particularly believable. Yeah. Um, but I do think that overall, like particularly with the neighbors, mm-hmm. they do a really good job of not steering into the stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So like, it's so easy to have just like the, the mean dad next door or whatever. And I think the actor does a great job of being, you know, this irritable you know, short fused, solely <laughs> focused on what he yes. wants character yeah, that Matt, we Matt all Furrer can, you know, be all like about. Um, but he also brings like a real depth to the character as mm-hmm. well and, you know, makes him feel really real and grounded. Yeah. Um, same with the uh, youngest neighbor. Um, he's a brat, but he has these like really nice moments with like auntie mm-hmm. um and and other points throughout the film I, I loved his little his little acting moment when uh she says hey uh my dad's machine works <laughs> we're gonna be rich and he's like have i mentioned how much i love your family like <laughs> i love that he, scene <laughs> He has some really nice humanizing moments mm-hmm. as well. And I feel like it would be really easy to, you know, make make the bad people bad and the nerdy people nerdy and, you know, just steer into that um, yeah. with a film like this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they didn't. I think they did a really nice job making everyone pretty three-dimensional. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. Everybody... You know, I th- I think, you know, maybe Nick is the only character that doesn't get a really strong arc. Um, unless there's there's some moment that I am not thinking of right now. It seems like he's kind of the same at the end as as at the beginning. Um, but, yeah, I, I would agree that, you know, the all the uh, performances, everybody's got like a nice humanizing moment and they don't let anybody fall into uh, any any one dimensional stereotypes. Nick is the Amy's younger son. brother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the argument for his arc, uh, which really is more of his father's arc, but like at the mm. beginning, he's trying to help dad and like solve things, That's but he right. can't. And yeah. then at the end, like the, the he's baseball the one thing. that connects the baseball and puts it in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, okay. I'll, yeah. I'll buy that. But I, I agree. It's a it's less of a, you know, large arc for sure. So, so OK, so I've got I'm going to change gears a little bit. 
Okay. So just kind of going off of the shrinking stuff, my nitpickiness. Sure. So the one main big nitpickiness that I had, so whenever they were shrunk in the house, it seemed more realistic, I'm going to say, than when they were in the grass. Yeah. When they were in the grass, it was very, it felt fake. Mm-hmm. Like it gave more of a, gave me more of a never ending story vibe mm-hmm. going. Gr- granted, they're in a, what? I mean, it would look, I kind of understand they want it to look different in a sense because, I mean, you're getting a different perspective from being just not thinking about walking on grass to all the little details and stuff, but right. it looked more fake there than it did inside the actual house. Yeah, you're you're bringing to mind kind of like how I viewed this movie as a kid. Like now I've seen this so many times, I don't question how it looks. But yeah, I, I do kind of right, yeah. remember thinking that growing up watching this, that like any any time they had a shot where it showed you like the house and then the grass below where it was, you know, the giant movie set grass, it did kind of strike me as, as weird looking. Definitely like them sliding down that grass blade yeah it it definitely had some some whimsy and you know creative liberty with the outside design um but i also think that it's a lot harder to mimic that than like oh we all know what wood grain looks like we'll just make it bigger (laughs) right so I, I think that the the set designers and, you know, art department did a lot of really cool things. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, I agree. Definitely with, I mean, this is what, 88, 89, somewhere in there. Yeah, 89. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, I mean. Came out in 89. They were probably doing yeah. it in 88. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's like, it's kind of, like I said at the beginning, it's kind of the start of when they got into all of this. So, they're getting used to the fact, or like, learn it's a big learning point and like, yeah, oh, we should do this. But also, like you said, it's, I mean, it gave them a little bit of artistic it, freedom it, with it at the same time. It kind of exists in that, that sweet spot of, of movie visual effects where not every problem had been solved yet. And people were still trying exactly. different solutions to different visual problems. Well, if we're being like truly nitpicky, I I do have a couple like nitpickies that I'm aware of because I looked up the making of this movie, not because I'm an <laughs> eagle-eyed observer. Um, okay. But uh, one, uh, the mother's hair color changes throughout the film. Oops, I didn't um, notice that. <laughs> yeah, bec- which makes it so much worse. Uh, because it's very well documented. You can go and look and it definitely does change. And there's like plenty of sources of like collaborating why it changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely happened. But the fact that no one noticed like literally makes it so pointless. Um, but <laughs> two weeks in uh, Disney was watching uh, the Disney execs. Um, supposedly a particular exec, but I couldn't collaborate that. So we'll just say execs. Um, we're watching dailies and decided that the mom would look better as a blonde instead of a strawberry blonde and asked her to dye her hair. And (laughs) she said, well, we've shot two weeks of the movie. And I said, no one will notice, which is true. Like to their point, no one did notice, but like, why, why have her do it then? Like if it's not, it's not noticeable. It's a a weird choice. Um, but yes, knowing that if you go back and watch it, you can tell that her hair changes. Uh, I, yeah, um, I'm really hoping that I forget about this by the time I watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Because I literally uh, never they, noticed that. They also... Um, now, this will depend on how you watch the film um, because, you know, people like covering their mistakes. But uh, they filmed this down in Mexico City. Um, oh, on yeah. Some I, big studio lot. Yeah. Um, so every, everything's built. Um, nothing is a location. And um, in that uh, studio setup, um, the exteriors of the house, uh, there are big 
soundstage walls, mm-hmm. uh, the exteriors of the walls. They're not on a soundstage. They're on a lot. But, yeah. Uh, the soundstage walls are painted blue to match the sky. Um, and there's only one shot. It's, and I noticed when I watched it the on shot, Disney right? Plus. It's the opening shot. Yeah. Uh, with the mailboxes. Mm-hmm. If you have... Uh, an older like VHS or DVD version, uh, you can distinctly see the like architecture of the wall. Um, <laughs> it has been cropped on Disney Plus, uh, uh, so you can't see it. Um, uh, which I think is a shame. Like, yeah, you know, that, leave it in there as an Easter egg. That that's a bit of a George Lucas. I'm yep. Gonna go mess with this. Yep. Um. Yeah. Speaking of of the. Uh, sets uh, that that reminded me that i was going to comment on how this movie almost pulls off a rear window where we start in one location and then we never leave which yeah. um i hadn't really thought about until this most recent viewing um except for the scene where wayne goes to the conference which you know i, I wouldn't cut i think it's and the to, mall and the and yeah when the mom goes to the mall you know a, apart from that we stick with the two the two houses yep. for the entire movie which i think is cool yeah, I agree. Maybe the shift gears from the negatives, like what do you and we've already hit some of these, but mm-hmm. what like really did they nail on this? What stood out to you as just like chef's kiss? <laughs> well, starting at at the highest level, like just the concept of this movie is just one of those things where I, I sit there and watch it and think, I wish I had thought of this. Yeah, because <laughs> like, you know, it, it this is one of those movies that is just like, you know, putting on my filmmaker's cap for a second, like, you know, with, you know, a little bit more budget, like this is something that we probably could have done. Um, yeah, especially when you consider most of it takes place on that the giant grass backyard set, which mm-hmm. was probably just a small area that where they just rearranged the pieces of grass to make it look like different areas. Um, for sure. So, yeah, like it's it's a totally. um it's not it's not a micro budget movie by any means, but, you know, it's like scoped well, I guess I would say like. Um, so the the bee that they ride. Yeah. Um, was four different uh, three. Sorry. Three different like layers of they had uh, a like. Puppet ish mm. bee. Uh, that had little 3D models of the boys on it. Um, oh, that's cool. That th- that they could use in shots of like actually practical. And then they built like just the top of the bee mm-hmm. uh, that they could green screen the boys going ah for the boys close ups. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had a light ish camera that someone could run around the yard with. <laughs> you to get, get the, your Sam Raimi shots. Mm hmm. Um, but the, the model B with the little 3d kids on it cost them over $30,000 just for that one little, little, little piece. (laughs) So, you know, we say, Oh yeah, just give us a little bit of money. Yeah. Okay. A little more money. (laughs) Yeah. 1989. uh, I, I imagine this was significantly more expensive than if you were to try to do a movie like this today. That that's probably true. But also inflation. So like thirty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty nine is probably closer to like a hundred thousand yeah. dollars now. So <laughs> thanks, Obama. Um. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of the B scene, actually, uh, I, I did want to get to that at some point because we we talked about yeah. how some of the scenes have aged well and some of them have not. Um, I yep. felt like the B scene was probably the the worst looking scene in this 100 <laughs> percent agree yep. and yep. um definitely I, I think i could forgive it if um it like i think this movie has a lot of great set pieces um but this like just putting the special effects also aside, agree i didn't think that there yes. were there were very many value changes in this scene where it was pretty much just them hanging onto the b for two minutes and then the scene ended you know yeah it's also um it's so funny we'll decide to talk about things that didn't work well and we'll gush about things that we love during that portion and then we'll move on to the things that are good and suddenly we remember the things <laughs> we want to complain about but, Whatever. Um, the it's organic uh 
it's organic. We we're, we're just we're it's the creative process. This podcast we're making is one hundred percent organic. <laughs> um, the for me the believability got lost there because yeah. like why would the bee stay in the yard like <laughs> like they should be two houses over or at a park and should just those boys should be gone we're done here <laughs> um yeah the believability also, yeah uh well i actually i just solved my own problem because i was gonna say the the impacts of like them flying off of that and hitting the ground or the lawnmower bit like everyone just like stands up and is fine well i guess they have like a bloody lip or whatever but mm -hmm. like are mostly fine yeah um but the thing is i was just actually listening to something that was talking about how like you can push a bug off of a table and it falls to the ground and is fine and keeps walking but if you or i you know fall four feet will break our arm or something mm. um uh, and just because of the, the science difference. the science explainer was like yes that is a really far drop for them but they have such a small mass that they don't actually accelerate that much right you've got um, air resistance and and yep. things like that so i guess believability gets a check mark there <laughs> that they they'd probably be okay well, so you guys can laugh at me if you want, but I, I discovered I, I only discovered in my late 20s that th building like a real shrink ray is something that just could not. It's like time travel. It's like it's a great science fiction concept, but it's not something that there's any possibility that you could could pull off because and yeah. actually with do, our current understanding of physics, it's very much impossible, right? Like they, they do actually address this in the movie a little bit at the conference scene where he's talking yep. about all the empty space between atoms and how you could shrink that. Um, the problem is that you become much more dense if you yep. were to do that. And so your actual weight wouldn't change. So yep. the kids should just be just as heavy as as at full size. And so the you know the uh, yeah it's just the, the it's not something that's uh that's ever going to happen like like you said with our current understanding he, of, of physics he should when he's sweeping he should have hit the kids <laughs> and like fallen over from the sudden <laughs> resistance right to weight. exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> wait so you're saying that ant-man should not have the strength he has what no, i'm just kidding <laughs> Mainly we're saying that Ant-Man just shouldn't be. Forget the science. <laughs> Hot takes with Robert. <laughs> we should have had the theme be shrinking movies. Come to think that, of it. There we go. So by contrast, um, the I thought that the the best looking set piece in this was maybe the sprinkler scene, the one coming right after it. Um for me, like I, I was um, I thought that whatever they did to the the giant droplets falling out of the the soundstage ceiling looked really, really good. Like, I'm, I'm sure they just mixed it with like paint or, or milk or something. But like that, that scale effect of the the gloopy water looked great. It has like a really like almost Spielberg mm. war like feel yeah. to it. Like yeah. that sequence is, is really like chaotic and beautiful in its chaos. I agree. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the first moment in the movie where the stakes become real. Like you said, the, the B kind of uh, your, your believability kind of goes out the window with that scene. But yeah. the sprinkler scene was the complete opposite for me where you, suddenly feel like oh these kids could actually die mm-hmm i i on this rewatch i was really struck by that i was being the cynical uh sad person that i am uh i'm not sure if you guys are aware but they are because of course they are uh doing a remake of this yeah with uh, with um, josh gad i know that yeah, so it's it's supposed to it's supposed to be in the works. A lot of the original cast might be showing up. So, well, Marcia Strassman passed away. She's the right. Di Diane is not going to be returning. Um, but uh, I was thinking like you know the edgy Dark Knight reboot of <laughs> version of this. Like she dies here, she drowns, and then it's the the you know <laughs> brother's arc of like learning 
like his role of protector and being, you know, his version of a man instead mm -hmm. of his dad's version of a man. Um, but just the fact that like there for a moment, I, I saw that possibility of like, yep, she she could die here. You mm -hmm. could like let that happen. I agree. Like it did a really nice job of kind of raising the stakes there. And I, in general, I think that the fact that this movie isn't a, afraid to shy away from death is, I think, notable for kids movies like a lot of kids movies mm -hmm. do try to steer away from that but i mean the fact that they're confronted with death both possibly and then you know later anti dying sorry spoilers yeah. if you haven't seen it um <laughs> um but yeah like it's just you know i thought that the skipping ahead a bit when when anti dies i thought that that was like a nice little um i don't know moment of of, of seriousness and in, in what is you know like, you know, the, the the fact that this movie flirts with darker themes, I thought was was really cool. So is is Auntie the mentor? Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's almost it's weird. Like, you know, you, you can almost say that Wayne is the one that sends them off on their quest kind of inadvertently. Um, yeah, I actually took Auntie to be. I mean, he's not the hero character, but, you know, you do have the the death and rebirth at the bottom of the Joseph Campbell circle. So that was kind of where I right. put that moment is like, oh, this is the the place where they experience character death and the this experience changes the kids. Yeah. So so those of you listening that aren't in the know of the hero's journey, um, there is a meeting of the mentor and then there is you know, the dying of the mentor later on. You see this most famously uh, in Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? right. We, we get Obi-Wan. Uh, he teaches us things that we need to know. But before he can teach us everything, he then dies. Right. Um, and when you start looking at and like studying the hero's journey, it's really easy to fit um, almost anything you watch into it. Mm -hmm. uh, so in this case, like right when it's supposed to be, we have death. They're presented with actual death. But to the film's credit and against mine, it follows, you know, by route a little much. Uh, I think you'd have a hard time saying that Auntie is the mentor here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, I, I think a lot of times when, you know, certainly I, I have this problem if I'm sitting down to write a story. I, I try to fit things into those slots of like, oh, well, it has the mentor character has to do this and then they have to die at this point. But it's more of a template that on you, page 80. They have to die. If right. it's 81. Terrible film. Exactly. It's it's more of a template that you can kind of start from. And if you're lost in in your screenwriting or, or story writing or whatever, you can kind of use it to orient yourself. But um, yeah. yeah, I don't think anything. You know, there's a handful of films like Star Wars or, you know, Harry Potter um, that, that do follow this template really closely. But, it, you know, not everything fits all the or checks all the boxes really neatly. Yeah. And I, I don't want everything to like I love being surprised. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I think when you can break out like there's a reason that it works really nicely in a lot of stories because like that that's good storytelling you know mm -hmm. having having your characters outside of their comfort zone leaving their ordinary world like that's that's good storytelling you know mm -hmm. having them experience opposition and grow good storytelling having them lose stuff along the way and have to like really decide is this something that i want or are other people wanting like that's good storytelling so of course you're going to find this uh, in a lot of things. Yeah. But I think if you steer into it and try to be formulaic, uh, which a lot of people tend to do, um, you're going to get very unexciting and results, you know, blase results. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Brandon, what was your favorite uh, set piece in this? Well, really I mean, kind of how I was talking about earlier with the shrinkage in the house and with the broom, really that broom, that was 
almost quite equal to me. To uh, the sprinkler was definitely number one, but we discussed that. But the broom, like sweeping up the kids, was a. I mean, comparing a broom to the grass, mm-hmm. the broom sweeping up the kids and having all that the dust particles and stuff. Um, it felt realistic mm-hmm. going back and watching it. Um, it was definitely up there with the sprinkler, in my opinion. Um, yeah, the broom scene looked great. I mean, the overall, I mean, overall story, like we've been talking about through the whole thing, just it's got its, the story's pretty packed. It's got good background stuff to, to back it up. We, we talked a little bit about the lawnmower scene and that that's another standout for me. Um, I, I know this is not like the most well-known movie ever, but in my mind, the shot of, of Nick getting sucked backwards through the hole up towards the lawnmower is like iconic in my mind. Yeah. Um, and the, the part where Amy hooks her, her leg around like the little root and then just starts screaming again, like always makes me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. pretty great. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like the parents yelling at Tommy trying to get his attention. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a great scene. Um, so the big, the big like headline for this release, uh, back in 89, uh, was the fact that Disney believed in it enough or uh, possibly believed in Batman enough uh, <laughs> to uh, release it the same weekend, uh, June 23rd, um, as um, Tim Burton's Batman. Oh, I didn't know that. And yeah, so they came out same time. Uh, so Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was only number two, never hit number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people say that it only got to number two because so many people were going to see Batman and couldn't get in, but they were already at the movie theaters. So they said, okay, well, we'll go and see Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So some people think like, oh yeah, absolutely. That's why it became the cult classic that it did. They got all Um, of Batman's sloppy seconds. They got the sloppy seconds. But the, the big question is which one has more staying power? Do you you think this has now outperformed Batman? I I will say I've only seen Tim Burton's Batman once and I Mm -hmm. I didn't really care for it. Um, But um, I would be willing to give it a second try. This movie, and I mean, again, I think I'm maybe biased because I grew up watching this, but this is definitely a a more well-told, well-rounded movie in my opinion. I think I agree. Uh, the Tim, I mean, I'm a big Tim, Tim Burton fan. I really like Tim Burton movies. Tim Burton's Batman, though, was not one of my favorites, mm. in my opinion. Um, other than I, I liked Jack Nicholson's Joker. Other than that, I wasn't. Yeah, he kind of steals that movie. This, this is always, yes, he definitely does. Um, that being said. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids has always been a movie I've enjoyed to watch to this day. Like, I go out of, I will go out of my way to watch this. Tim Burton's Batman, not so much. I mean, I've seen it. I've watched it a few times, but not near as many times as I've watched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, what about you, Robert? Yeah, I, I'm not the biggest superhero movie lover to begin with regardless of if it's you know an old superhero film or a new one uh so it's probably you know not a surprise that i would put this as a more like stain Mm -hmm. uh more iconic uh you know more of a film that that made us to borrow uh you know uh pretty common term these days Mm -hmm. uh I think that you would find more people referencing this than uh, than the 1989 Batman. That I mean, the, said, the expression, honey, I shrunk the X is, I think, part of the, you know, 
you know, if not everyday language, you know, certainly meme culture. For sure. Um, but I, I think part of that is also like at the moment in 2021 of April of 2021. Um, what? I thought it was still 2018. <laughs> what happened to the last three years since the last episode of Framed? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but in this moment in time, uh, there was uh, the the sequel, uh, Honey, I Blew Up the Baby, and yeah. the direct to... Yeah, to Hun Honey, TV We Shrunk Ourselves. Whatever. Yeah. Um, and there was also the, the TV show. Yeah. Um, but the the film itself the story this story not the film this story has not been retold so it's mm. the only reference whereas with batman you know take your pick there's a mm. billion of them at this point you yeah. know so exactly. uh, so if you're you know passionate about batman now you have to make a choice of like oh which one whereas like oh honey i shrunk the kids there's there's one option there mm -hmm. like that's what i'm gonna reference and talk about if i want to yeah it, it's kind of like back story. to the future where mm -hmm. there's, you know, just the one version and the thought of remaking it is is kind of unthinkable. I think the project you you referenced earlier is a sequel. The the thing with Josh Gad, I think that there's a continuation of the story, not a not a remake. Um, um, I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I don't know. I know that. Um... Gad is supposed to play the the son. Nick, yeah, right? adult Nick. And then I think Rick Moranis yeah. is is supposed to be in it. He's supposed to be coming back. Coming out of retirement. Yeah. Yeah. I think Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves was the last thing he did actually before signing off before for movies. Disappearing for a little bit. Mm hmm. Yeah. What is uh, what is you guys' experience with the rest of the movies or the TV show? Have you seen any of it? Um, I, I don't I know if I've seen that. Honey, I Blew Up the Baby. I've definitely seen Honey, I Shrunk Ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, the the potassium eat a banana. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, moment for whatever reason lives rent free in my head. <laughs> um, but. I really don't. And honey, I blew up the baby um, was already written and was supposed to be its own movie. And they right. just because of the success of this, like put the characters in it, mm -hmm. um, which is usually not the best way to, you know, make things. Um, so I think that's probably why it doesn't feel like it belongs there as much. Yeah. Yeah, so before we I before this most recent rewatch for the podcast, I <clears throat> I did watch all three of them back to back on Disney Plus and mm -hmm. um I think Honey I Shrunk the Kids has definitely aged the best. Um the the second and the third ones were were much more uh tiresome <laughs> rewatches. I think Honey sure. Honey I blew up the kid um the special effects kind of overtake the story. Um, yeah. And I mean, they're, they're well done. I mean, like, like we were saying with this movie, it's like they've, they've aged really well for the most part, but, um, it's not as interesting of a story. Um, and I think that maybe yeah. has to do with what, what you were saying about how it was originally a different project. And then they just kind of crammed in the characters from honey. I shrunk the kids. Um, the third one, like I'm with you that the bananas having potassium is, is like that movie's iconic thing, but Man, that's a hard movie to watch now. It's it it very yeah. much stinks of straight to video. Yep. Um, um so Honey I Shrunk the Kid, a uh controversial title. Um it's not grammatically correct. You know, it should be <laughs> Honey I've Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, um, I, I shrank or I have shrunk. Yeah. <laughs> um but it wasn't it wasn't the original title. The original title was Teeny Weenies. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> then Grounded. Mm. Um, oh, fun fact. There's actually a, a game on Steam called Grounded. That, that's basically oh. a uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I want to say it's an open world game where you just get online and go. play with other people. You're, you're in this massive backyard. 
I'm I'm sure that is not accidental. Not part of the franchise, uh, as far as I can tell. No, I'm I'm sure it's just someone that knows that you know grounded was a possible uh title um but then they ended up going with honey i shrunk the kids because it's a line from the film mm-hmm. um what are our thoughts was teeny weenies better uh Definitely not teeny weenies <laughs> yeah i don't know today's for that time i think it fits perfectly um nowadays i feel like they probably would have gone with grounded because i feel like that's more of a it's a little bit more artsy more a little more grounded of a title uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> i don't it yeah it seems like it fits more in today's time um but i mean honey i shrunk the kid timeless Again, it's like I I sense the weight of the nostalgia glasses that are glued to my face. But like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids just kind of captures that sense of kind of it being like a light, fluffy kind of you're in for a good time. And it kind of like the title kind of betrays that, you know, and it kind of captures the um, the aspect of, of, you know, Wayne kind of being an an irresponsible dad, you know? Yeah. Um, actually, um, I did want to ask you guys what you thought about casting Rick Moranis as the, the mad scientist dad, if, um, like just sort of with, you know, our critics hats on, like, did we, did you guys feel like that worked? I think this is probably the first thing really, I mean, definitely probably the first thing I saw him in. Hmm. Um, yeah, me too. So before Ghostbusters, I've, yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw this before I saw Ghostbusters. We weren't allowed to watch Ghostbusters uh, growing up. <laughs> got it. I mean, it was probably about the same time frame, but I don't. I mean, I felt like because I watched this, him in this first, it just has that in my head that oh, like Daniel Radcliffe. First thing I saw him in was Harry Potter. Before I watched all of his other anything else he's been in, even. What was he in? David Copperfield or whatever. Um, now you see it. I no. What was that? What was that? When he was little, or Daniel Radcliffe was in another movie. Oh, before like Harry little, Potter. Little. Yeah, it was before Harry Potter. I. I but anytime don't I see know. Daniel Radcliffe, besides the fact, don't every time I see him, I think the Harry Potter character. Yeah, and with, and that's kind of the same way with this person. This actor is. Uh, anytime I see him, I see him from the first thing he's been in. Mm-hmm. They got to take off those nostalgic glasses and mm-hmm. think in the other films he's been in, like, oh, okay. But I, I think he did a pretty good job on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those, in, in my opinion, odd casting choices that works. Like, I think on page, if if I were casting this, like the temptation would would be to look at the script and go, oh, so it's a a scientist inventor dad. We should go like lean towards like Doc Brown, like an eccentric, lovable, mad scientist character. But the fact that he's, you know, just kind of like your average suburban dad who just happens to be building a shrink ray in the attic, I think um, (laughs) (laughs) kind of, you know, gives the movie more of a um you know, no pun intended. It, it grounds the movie more. It makes you feel like, oh, this could actually happen. Maybe. Yeah. I th- I think I might have seen him in Spaceballs before I saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But um, it wasn't supposed to be him. He was their third choice. Um, Chevy Chase was who they had in mind when they wrote it. Oh, interesting. Um, and then they went to uh, John Candy, actually, after that. <laughs> that would have been a very different movie. A very different film, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's actually, he uh, had just finished working on Spaceballs uh, huh. with, um, with, Mc- with Rick Moranis. And uh, he was the one that suggested him uh, hmm. for the role. Yeah, it's funny. I, um, I, I just finished watching this documentary about this uh 
film called Nothing But Trouble that came out in mm. the early 90s. Um, and it's funny, like you, you go back to these um, movies that were coming out around this time that were in the comedy genre. It's like everybody's shortlist was kind of the same. It's like, OK, well, there's yep. Chevy Chase and John Candy and <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Maybe Robin Williams <laughs> right. depends on the part. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Any other uh, closing thoughts or, or fun facts? I don't think so. I wanted to get this this in really quick in, you know, so we got it on the record for for framed um, the the scene where the uh, uh, friends of, of the Thompson's I'm forgetting their their names, but the the people in the RV that come to pick them up for the the fishing trip that's still one of my favorite scenes. Um, Donald, that man over there is flying, was something that got said a lot at my house growing up. And um, <laughs> the uh, the lady of the, of the couple, Gloria, is uh, is probably more well known from Twin Peaks. Which I don't know if either of you mm. guys have seen Twin Peaks, but uh, that was one of those shows that I, I watched later in life. And then when I went back to watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I was like, oh, it's Lucy from Twin Peaks. That's funny. So the big question, Elliot, mm. is uh, what would you give this on a scale of one to ten of a film? Um, I think I would go with. I'm, I'm going to go with a seven point five. Ooh, okay. Um, and I'm, I'm trying like my, and I think that I'm just trying to counterbalance how much I like how fond I am of this movie. Um, sure. To kind of balance it with some of the other, you know, nitpicks I guess that we brought up earlier, like some of the special effects haven't aged all that well, and um, you know, you could have been a bit more. Uh, Oh, I don't know. Gone, gone off the the beaten path a bit more with the plot, not have it be so hero's journey. But you know, given all of that, it's like I I still love this movie, and I, you know, I will happily put it on and and watch it and just kind of go through all the moments that I've I've seen a hundred times before, and you know, still still really enjoy it. Absolutely, Brennan. I'd give it probably a good eight eight and a half. Um, oh, okay. I mean, if you were to put this, say this came out just how it was today, though, yeah, it wouldn't, it would definitely be way lower on the scale. Um, but giving when it came out, um, where technology was at that point, how, like I talked about in the round table, how it's kind of in a way was a start to shrinkage in movies. Like mm -hmm. I just, but then adding my nostalgia to it kind of gives a little bit of leeway, but I think it's good solid eight, eight and a half. Very cool. Bunch of nitpickiness, obviously, but this, this is uh, terrible. This is uh, maybe not relevant for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but the reason I went with 7.5 and not didn't go higher is because I had it stuck in my head that we all gave Blade Runner 8 point, Blade Runner 2049. We gave it 8.5s and 9s, and I'm like, okay, well, it's not Blade Runner 2049 good, so I have to go lower. So I'm in trouble now because I definitely don't love this movie as much as you. I enjoy this movie. I definitely don't love it as much as you. And I was going to give it a seven. Mm. But if you're giving it a 7.5, I feel like just on that scale, I have to give it like a five or something. <laughs> but I, 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 I feel like it doesn't deserve a five. I feel like it deserves a seven. I think you went too low, Elliot. Mm. Um, OK, well, I'll go so up to I, an eight. I, I was thinking 7.5 7. or eight. So I'll go. I'll bump it up to an eight. OK, I think that's fair. I don't like I think this was a great pick for the category. Like mm -hmm. I, if you want to look at it from like just is this a cinematic masterpiece? No. Yeah. No, no it I, is I not. Agree. But is it a film that like anyone can sit down and enjoy with anyone else? Yeah, it is. And like that's exactly. what it's trying to be. You got to remember yeah. this was 
a dad wanting to make something for his kids mm-hmm. that started this. You know, it's supposed to be a movie that, you know, generations can look at and love. And it has little moments for everyone in it. Um, so, like, in that regard, it scores, you know, off the charts because it did exactly what the filmmakers exactly. were trying to do. Yeah. Um, so lots of respect and love from me for this, but from like a film snob perspective, I I can't give it more than a seven probably. Mm -hmm. Correct. I think that's fair. I mean, yeah, they, they nailed exactly what they set out to do, but they were not going for the citizen Kane category. For sure. All right. Well, thanks cool. for potting with me, guys. Um, let's do this again, always. you know, three years from now. <laughs> Get excited for uh, our review of Napoleon Dynamite coming out in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll see you guys later. All right. See you later. Bye.